Let's do this podcast. Finally. What? Doddles McGee over there. Well, if we had time... Oh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Time and Attention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the host of the show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 75. Nice number. Time blocking. love time blocking. That's what I hear. I've been doing this forever. Forever? Since basically I've can The beginning remember. of time? Oh. No, since I think I started doing this like not intentionally, but mm. it, I just kind of happened to kind of fall into this pattern back in my undergrad. It's almost a decade. It's pretty good. Yeah. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just organizing my days this way and then stumbled into the productivity literature sometime after we started dating. And uh, realize other people do this too. Are you a productivity guru, thought leader? No, definitely not. But uh, I do seem to read a lot of these books, either because you tell me that they're really good or I think this was something I was interested in, but maybe not quite as interested as you are, Mm. um, even before we were together. But yeah, now I read all these books and people time block. It's a thing other people do. And you've met other people like yourself, productivity nerds. I get so excited. So I listen to this podcast called The Hidden Curriculum. It's it's totally for economists and it's for academic economists. So it's a very niche podcast. Yeah. But in that podcast, every episode, they talk about their workflows and the workflows of whatever guests they talk about. So many of them time block. It's amazing. I didn't know this was such an econ thing. And so many other people in my field are time blocking. So now I'm going to start... Looking for time-blocking friends in econ. Time-blocking friends? Yes. <laughs> the, the, somebody should make an app for that. I'm like, sure. like a Tinder, but for people who are into time-blocking. Like Bumble BFF time-blockers? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So t- time-blocking is uh, a simpler thing. It's uh, I'm not surprised you fell into it. Um, it's, it's you know, we should probably define it before we jump into the, the episode anymore. It, it's just choosing how you're going to spend your time ahead of time. Uh, blocking off chunks of work for specific tasks and projects in your, in your calendar. Usually bigger chunks work a bit better, I have found, when, when I've done this. Yeah, I think the whole reason people do this is to try to avoid multitasking, right? To yeah. try to make sure you're focusing on one thing at a time. And that allows you to be a lot more productive, right? Bouncing between tasks. Like you've done so much work talking about how detrimental it is to your productivity when you're bouncing between tasks all the time. And in the literature, they call them working spheres. And so each time block is kind of like one uh, chunk of time for one working sphere, whether that's a a little constellation of tasks that contribute to one goal, uh, whether that's a project, just keeping within the sphere that you predefined. Yeah. I think this is something I'm like really leaning into right now where I'm finding that the switching costs associated with doing like multiple kinds of projects in one given day are just so high. I think that it just takes me a long time to get my head into a different project. Yeah. And so time blocking for me has become more and more of like, I'm not just blocking my day. I'm blocking like the whole week for one project or huh. two projects max because I'm finding like time blocking is a good way of single tasking. And I'm finding I'm wanting to do that more and more across an entire day. Well, I do just one thing. Single, there, there comes a point, you know, where you have enough work that you need to single task. Oh, yeah. Oh, the entire reason I started time blocking is because I was finding myself with a lot of things to do. I mean, I've talked about this before, like throughout my undergrad and my master's, I was working like three jobs and in school full time. And 
these, this was just a lot of work. And so yeah. being able to time block and making sure I had given myself the time I would need to do the things I needed to do was just enormously helpful and kind of helped me manage that stress. Yeah. And this is kind of um, the ironic thing about multitasking and the busyness that, that multitasking leads to. Multitasking is often a sign that we're not, uh, that we have a capacity to take on more than we are. Oh, yeah. Right? Because we're just filling our time switching between things, going between email and social media and the news. And, and when you think about it, that doesn't really lead to much of an accomplishment when the day is done. You know, we can compartmentalize that time of checking the news and connecting with people and the comms and the admin work and have much more time for projects. So depending on how much you have on your plate, I would say as a general rule, the more we have on our plate, the more essential that both single tasking and time blocking each become uh, simply out of necessity because we need to manage our resources that much more strategically. And I think this is a, a, one good example is who talks about time blocking in the productivity world. Uh, Cal Newport, friend of the show, yeah. previous guest a couple of times. We'll have to have him back on mm-hmm. soon uh, to see what he's up to these days. But he blocks out pretty much every hour of every day. And when you look at what he has going on, he's the, the tenured professor. He teaches, he publishes uh, research regularly. He publishes regularly in the productivity uh, sphere. Uh, he does a lot of interviews. He's just a busy guy who has a lot going on. And I remember him saying, I, I forget where, whether it's in a conversation or a book or something, um, he does it out of necessity. He has to. He just has that many elements to juggle. And when you time block, you can consider it all when you're defining the blocks for the week ahead. Yeah, I think I can attest to to that, like this kind of relationship between the necessity of time blocking and this how often you do it. I find I just kind of naturally fall into time blocking a lot more regularly when I am extra busy. Yeah, at so capacity. when I'm at capacity, this is just a natural part of my work and I don't even really think about it as much. Yeah. Um, when things are a little lighter, although that hasn't happened in a long time. Um, Hopefully it does. When things are a little lighter, I don't find myself like thinking about time blocking quite as much. So mm. it's definitely an ebb and flow in my my work cycle, but right now it's just all time blocking all the time. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Why time I, block? I mean, we've kind of hinted at this. There are a lot of reasons to time block, right? I think for me, this is the equivalent of- You're excited about this. I love time blocking. And you, I think you've this, lit is, up. this is a topic I just like talking about. Um, and this is, for, but for me, time blocking is kind of the equivalent of getting rid of all the junk food in your house, because it just means that when you mm. go into the kitchen, like getting rid of junk food means that if you go into the kitchen and you want a snack, only things, the only things there are healthy or right? like they're good choices. Tell so me you, about it. You've predetermined all your good choice. Yeah. Chris hates this. I mean, we have like an insanely healthy kitchen Yeah, and so there's no junk food for it's, you to stumble it's, upon. It's great and terrible all at the same time. All great. And that's the same thing that happens here when you've kind of time blocked and you have the, dis- I guess there's kind of a, the assumption here is you have the discipline to like stick to wanting to be accountable to what you've kind of defined for yourself. And that's, I think a really big part of this is you do need to be capable or, or motivated by these kinds of time blocks that you've allocated for yourself. Um, but having set aside the time that you're going to spend on different tasks removes the willpower that you need to like choose what to do every minute. And I think that's why I think we, we've talked about things like the rule of three and it's not something I'm like as gung ho on as, as you are. And I think it's because I've already, like by the time I get to my day, I've already determined what I'm going to be spending that day yeah, on. Yeah. Like I, I did that the week before I planned out my, my whole week and I, I already had my time in my head. 
and I allocated the tasks that I was going to do on that day. So for me, it's just a way of getting rid of like the willpower you need to make a choice about what you spend your time on like day to day. Because my past self already made those choices for me. <laughs> and I, I think that cuts to the the core of what, what we talk about so often. You know, it's right in the intro of the podcast, becoming a better, more intentional human being. It, it's that deliberateness. It's that intentionality that precedes action that, uh, you know, we talked a bit about this uh, this philosophy a couple of episodes back that allows us to connect with just what makes us human, to, to propel ourselves uh, forward, that deliberateness and intentionality when not all things in our day, in our life are created equal. We need some sort of ritual, some sort of routine to work with greater intention, which we talked about last episode. Uh, so whether that's the rule of three, time blocking, you know, do try out all of these things. But yeah, like you said, um, the, the things that will end up sticking for you will fluctuate around how disciplined you are, how much self-discipline you have, uh, also how much autonomy you have with your work. That might be a factor that dictates which of these methods uh, actually fit with your routines, with your habits, with your workflows. Uh, but do account, and also whether or not you like being told what to do. We'll, we'll get to that <laughs> in a second. Uh, but yeah, lots of different benefits to time blocking. Yeah, I think the the big one, other than like kind of removing the, the choice part of your day, is also thinking about making it less stressful for you. I mean, yeah. because you know that you've, a big part of this involves planning, right? And so you kind of do the work up front to make sure that you've first considered what's really important, not just urgent. So you know that you are going to do the things that you need to do. Like it's built in, you have that confidence that you're going to make time or you have time for the yeah. things that you have committed to. Yeah, you go from juggling everything you have to do in your mind to everything has a place. Yeah. Because the, you, you just have a sequential order uh, in which you'll get everything done that you need to do. Yeah. And th I think that is exactly why, you know, when somebody is more at capacity, when they have more projects, when uh, somebody is generally maybe more ambitious and has bigger goals and things that they want to achieve through their work and even through their life, this can work for a personal life with things that can be deemed uh, work in that context. But uh, it's just a necessity for minimizing stress as well as maximizing productivity. I love it. I absolutely love it. So do you do it? Do you use time blocking? Mm. So, so I mentioned, I mentioned that, that idea, you know, my, here's my problem with time blocking. Uh, first of all, I do time block because I do find it such a valuable uh, technique for getting things done. But my, my holdup with time blocking is I don't like being told what to do. And <laughs> I that, know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I love you. You never tell me to do to do anything. Uh, but, but I also don't like being told what to do by myself, even by my past self, even by myself at the beginning of the day. Uh, but one, one way I've found around this is to give myself options of roughly equal value for a block of time. So for an example, uh, this works especially well for difficult tasks that I might put off, like uh, maybe I'll, I'll spend two hours, I'll block off time to either read or uh, write. And uh, so that's that's important time. Those are important tasks. But I, I want that freedom in the moment to go where I want to go. And I think that's my holdup with, with time blocking is I love the serendipity. I love uh, the curiosity that drives so much of what I do. And I find if I compartmentalize it, it works for some things that 
have a, a, an obvious path forward. Uh, but for the things that are more connecting disparate ideas, uh, I find I need to be a bit less structured. What one, one thing that I love, though, one block of time that I do in the morning, I have a four-hour chunk of time uh, where I don't communicate with other people. I, I shut myself off from people, and I deal with email, I deal with phone calls in the afternoon, and people have come to expect this a little bit. I make sure uh, that I schedule all my meetings in the afternoon as well. But these, I, I call them the morning four because I'm bad at coming up with names for them. But this is the time uh, to think. This is the time to prioritize, to strategize, to research, to write, to plan, uh, to get some scatter-focused time, some mind-wandering time. Uh, so no por- performative work during that time, no admin work, no work that I have to be responsive with other people. And mind you, this goes back to that idea of autonomy. I, I have more autonomy with what I do. And so I have the option of, you know, working a bit earlier, uh, but also not communicating with other people in the morning. But I find giving myself the options uh, for things. And just generally outside of that, I use time blocking for things that I uh, don't want to do because then I have a time to do it and I don't have to uh, really put it off or anything like that. Uh, I do it for the things that I want to make sure that I do that I wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, Press publicity stuff is a good example of that because I don't have really an inclination for a promotion, but I find that I need to uh, routinize that in some way. Uh, And things that have a a deadline, obviously, so I don't have to stress about that as much. I I find it's a good tool for adding structure uh, when I have a lot going on as well. And I just don't want to stress about things and when I'm going to do it all. So it comes and goes in waves. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, where there are times where I'm a little more strict with time blocking and like yeah. try to be a lot more like precise with my time blocking. And that's why I think when you say time blocking, people think you have to block like every single half hour from you, the moment you wake up until like the Cal, moment you fall like asleep. Like Cal does. Yeah, there's like that end of the spectrum is like the really intense time blockers. And then there are on the other side, there's people who don't time block at all. I'm somewhere in the middle, yeah. much, I guess maybe not the middle. I'm definitely I'm more towards like the, the Cal, Cal Newport, side. really intense, every half hour kind of blocked. And I did used to do it that way. I did used to block out like every single hour of my day and mm. maybe even half hour of my day. At some point, I even had like 15 minute blocks. Wow. But that is just not sustainable. There's probably I- <laughs> a minimum amount of time. I would say it's even a longer amount of time, like an hour. Oh yeah. And, and now I don't block anything that's, less than an hour long. Um, and mm. really I only block out kind of like big chunks of time because I use this really for like the things that take more than an hour. I don't really think mm. anything in my life takes less than an hour except maybe like submitting a conference abstract. And so those are more like little to-do things that I put in between the big blocks of time because mm. I use time blocking to block out time for like the big stuff. Um, so whether or not I need to put together a research plan or which is what I'm doing right now or whether I need to set aside, set up the entire like online infrastructure for a course that I'm, I'm putting together. These things take more than an hour. And so I like at the, I think we've talked about this in the past in the podcast, but at the end of my week, I usually close out my week by planning out the following week and making sure I like being able to know that in my calendar, there is enough time for me to do the things that I need to accomplish by the end of the following week. It just gives me like Mm. so much calm to know that there is time in my calendar set up for the things that I need to do. The the confidence that everything has been considered. Yeah. And I th- so we'll talk about what, how to like what to think about when you're setting up time blocks in a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, it just makes me feel better knowing that I've, I've considered all the things that I need to consider. And I think two really important things here are making sure you build in breaks, like being realistic mm. about the time. That's something I've gotten a lot better at. Like I think there, it was in a Laura Vanderkam book that I read recently where she talked about, if you don't schedule breaks, you're just going to end up taking breaks anyway, and they won't yeah. be high quality breaks. <laughs> yeah. And so now I've built in time where I take breaks in the day and make sure I have time to kind of reset between big time blocks. Um, and the other thing is making sure you know how much time things take. And that's something I'm constantly getting better at. Like I'm not perfect at this for sure. Um, but time, like tracking your time goes a huge way to being able to know how long to time block for things. So if you're giving yourself like an hour to set up an entire online course, you're just, you're, you're already setting yourself up for failure. So I think knowing how much time things take and then allowing for buffer room, because you're probably wrong, even if you are time block tracking. So how do you uh, deal with that? I mean, I have like years of data now that tell me how long things take me. So I've been time tracking forever. I use Timeular now, which has just been amazing for time tracking. Um, we're we're going to have to chat about, time. sorry, very brief tangent. We're going to have to chat about Timeular. And we also each, uh, the company was kind enough to send us a remarkable tablet, yeah. uh, which we're having a lot of fun with. Next episode, we should do a review of those two devices. Sure. Okay. Sorry. That's good. Please, yeah. please continue, Governor. Please proceed, Governor. <laughs> I have been using this Timeular, um, and I've been tracking my time forever, so I have a rough sense of how long different kinds of tasks take me. I'm definitely not 100% accurate. I'm no. maybe not even like 75% accurate. So I usually just kind of estimate based on what I've seen in the past and then add like 50% or maybe even double the time that I think it's going to take. Um, and that's roughly how I go about making sure I set aside enough time. I think the big thing is just making sure there's any time in my calendar because I leave enough buffer room now in my blocks that I can go over or under a little bit. Yeah, well, once you start time blocking, you'll realize very quickly just how bad we are at oh, yeah. uh, estimating how long something will take. And you can you can be aware of how long, long things take for years before you begin to learn or even just begin to understand how long the tasks on your plate will take. So don't beat yourself up, I think is the key there when you start time blocking. You will have no clue how long things take. Some things will surprise you. Other things will shock you. You are in for a roller coaster of yeah. uh, mismanaged expectation. Oh yeah. The nice thing is this also helps you manage expectations for people around you. So if you work in a team, if you're committing to work for people um, that you work with very often, this can help you make commitments that are realistic. So if I say, oh, I like, I just can't do it this week because my blocks are all full and I can't move any of them. I don't tell that to people because that would make <laughs> me sound a little weird. But if I just say, oh, my I can't. My blocks are full. <laughs> if, if somebody asks me to do something, I can very easily look at my calendar and say, oh, there is a block I could potentially move because this is more yeah. important or, but never delete a block. Always move the block to mm -hmm. another time. Um, that's just something I'm pretty adamant about because I'm trying to stay accountable to myself. And if I'm setting aside three hours of time, it's something I, I, I don't want to delete if I set aside that time for, for a reason. And if you're in an environment where people can look at when you're available mm -hmm. and see your availability, they'll just see that you're booked up. They won't book you when you're uh, yeah. trying to focus on something in a time block, yeah. which is amazing. And uh, what, one thing that I like to do, especially because I schedule time for the things that I often don't necessarily want to do or have an inclination to do is if somebody asks me that uh, if somebody follows up on something like that, I'll just tell them I have a block 
of time that I've scheduled for this on Thursday. And so mm-hmm. I'll get back to you then. And people are uh, generally understanding because most people are busy and near capacity. Awesome. So how do people get started? Well, you block time for things. <laughs> yeah. Normally now, people do this like a couple of days out A, in a few days uh, at a, a time or a week at a time. Yeah. I typically do a week. I do this on my Fridays at the end of my week to kind of like close out the week. Um, I do also block week time on weekends sometimes if I know I need to work on a weekend, which is something you and I sometimes do because yeah. um, that's the kind of work we have. We have very flexible schedules, so we sometimes block time on weekends. Um, but yeah, you can do this at the end of a week on a Friday if that's how you close out your week um, and have blocks for your most important tasks. So the way I usually start this is think about like what my big deadlines are, if there are anything really, really pressing so I know that and I look not just the following week, I look like a couple of weeks out to make sure I know of big deadlines that I might've forgotten about. And then also figure out if there are like any specific obligations that I'm going to yeah. need to physically be somewhere. So if I know I need to travel to Kingston one day a week, or if I need to be on campus for a seminar on a particular day, I want to make sure I, I build in time for me to get to those places and be in the places that I have told people I will physically be because- if I work from home, I need to make sure I build in time to leave. Yeah, and anticipating those obstacles is key, yeah. as well as doing this stuff as early as possible if people have access to your calendar mm-hmm. or if things tend to fill up quickly. Um, th- that, that I think is key because you're defining time for the most important tasks in your work. Um, and so by definition, there's really nothing as important. The things that people want you for are going to be less important than those tasks that are integral to the value that you deliver and and the amazing things that you ship. And so do block off that time early, but do vary and, and experiment with what works for you and uh, account for the constraints and how much discipline you have and how much uh, you want to be accountable to yourself. Yeah, and other things you consider are things like your prime time, right? Yeah. Like your biological prime time. This is something we've talked about lots on the podcast. Episode seven. Episode seven is really yeah. where we dug into it. And once you become aware of like your biological prime times, mm-hmm. I think it's just such a huge, like it's almost a superpower. Maybe yeah. I'm exaggerating a little, but it's like a productivity superpower where if you know when you can be like most focused and most thoughtful in your day, and if that's the kind of work you're trying to do, no, like doubling down and making sure that's your focus time, huge, huge yeah. asset, right? I think, and that's something you and I both do. Um, yeah. And I think COVID's kind of been nice for me, at least to kind of figure out more precisely where my prime times are. It's been a little while since I actually like really did a little bit of reflecting on what my biological prime times are. And I think they've shifted over the last few years where oh. I'm getting much more like productive, like focus time in the evenings than I ever used to. Um, and so mm. anyway, this is a kind of self-realization thing that's happened in the last couple <laughs> of years. It's happening live on, on the podcast. No, I've just realized <laughs> that maybe I'm not, or I think I'm definitely not as much of a morning person as I had been believing I was for the last few years. So this is a really exciting point in my life where I'm like shifting my my uh, my prime time schedules. So that's exciting. But um, you can also base this on things like your most important tasks where like the episode, 20, episode 24, we talked about this, mm. where you can identify what your most important tasks are and make sure you block time for those things. Like this is... The nice thing about this is that it works together with so many other tactics that we've talked about on the show. Who who do you think time blocking is not for? I mean, people who don't have uh, control over their schedules and are really just facilitating relationships, like people who mm. are in meetings all day, Yeah, this is not for you. Um, I mean, although people who are in meetings all day, you probably still need to set an hour or two aside a week 
to make sure you have some direction. Yeah. Um, like even if you are like a director of some kind of organization and your job is really to just meet with people and see how like the ship is going, um, you can also set aside some time to make sure you have direction. And you're not just responding to emergencies, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I, I think this can be in, incorporated into almost any kind of schedule just to make sure you have a little bit of accountability in how you spend your time. Yeah, I, I think of people across the autonomy spectrum. So on, on one end of the spectrum is somebody with no autonomy. So somebody who clocks in uh, at eight, leaves at four, and maybe I'm just thinking back to a previous job that I had long back, uh, washing dishes. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to be time blocking when I'm washing dishes. That I wash dishes when the dishes come. That was actually a, a fun job. Uh, one of the funnest ones that I had washing dishes at a at a, uh, a chain. It's kind of like the Olive Garden of Canada, but a bit worse. Is it called Eastside Mario's? I think Eastside Mario's is in the states too. No, I don't think so. I think it's Canada only. Really? But oh it man, feels you guys like, are missing out. Feels like you're walking <laughs> right into Italy. No, it doesn't. But like a, a, a really bad comical version of Italy. So on, on one end of that autonomy spe- spectrum is the kind of factory worker or somebody whose uh, time is predefined for them. And on the other end is a novelist, somebody who has total control and freedom and flexibility over their time. And across this spectrum of autonomy is us. You know, it's, it's where we live. It's, it's where we lie. And I think there's a, a case to be made for every single person across the spectrum. Uh, for the factory worker, maybe you have some clerical work in the afternoon. Uh, maybe you have meetings to it. Maybe you just have some focused work to do. Uh, if you're the novelist, maybe you want to block off time for research and the things that you don't enjoy doing. But as with all the advice on the podcast, take what works for you, leave the rest, but experiment with it all. Love it. And yeah, you, you are right. Eastside Mario's is not in the United States. There you go. I'm so sad for you, Americans. That would be, uh, that's, it, that's a tragedy. It's so good. <laughs> the eight-year-old me loved Eastside Mario's. So, well, yeah. They'll always have Olive Garden. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Yeah. Although I don't know if I've ever been to an Olive Garden. Really? Yeah. We, it's not as common here. We have them. Yeah, no, I know they're here, yeah. but not as popular as Eastside Mario's. Anyway, no. we don't need to talk about Eastside Mario's. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. The world's uh, foremost Eastside Mario's podcast. But yeah, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Time and Attention, finishing up timeandattention.fm. We have the .fm uh, domain name there. That's where you can find the website for the podcast. You're, you're shaking your head because you know I always complain that I paid $100 for a domain name when they usually cost about 10 um, Easy, but, old man. <laughs> yeah, o- old man complains about domain names uh, more at 11. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you again in a couple Tuesdays to talk about the Timular and the Remarkable. Woo-hoo. The Showdown. No, it's not really a showdown. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.